ESPN continues to practice dishonest journalism and a whole lot of NFL draft talk. The Valley Sports Talk begins right now. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the LaValley Sports Talk Podcast brought to you by Sunlight Network. As always, I am your host, Chris LaValley. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Before we do a deep dive into the fun stuff, into the NFL draft, I want to touch on an ESPN article and a discussion that's been going on at ESPN all week in regards to quarterback position. And this has to do, this is NFL draft related, of course. I wouldn't touch on this if, if it wasn't. So there's an article that was written by a man named Martenzi Johnson who is a columnist for The Undefeated, which is part of ESPN. And he, he was pushing a column accusing the NFL of racism against black quarterbacks. He, there was a, a quote in his, or there was a line in his column saying, and I quote, the NFL is trying to keep the position as white as they painted yard lines on the field. ESPN, all over their airways too, have been pushing the fact that because Justin Fields' draft stock has dropped since the end of the season, that this is this is akin to NFL owners and NFL scouts and everybody being racist. There are so many flaws and holes in this argument that it, it, if you actually believe this stuff, like if, you, if you're honestly believing that the reason why Justin Fields' stock is dropping is because of racism, you're an imbecile. So let's just look back. You want to call the NFL racist? Okay. Then explain to me this. How is it that Jameis Winston, a few years ago, went number one overall after narrowly avoiding rape charges in college along with being accused of theft? He still went number one, even though he had all of those character flaws. He still went number one. How about Jamarcus Russell? Jamarcus Russell, last time I checked, was a number one overall quarterback. His draft stock actually went up after the end of the college football season. During the whole NFL combine and everything else, all of a sudden, Jamarcus Russell went from being the fifth, I think he was a top five or top six overall um, player, to being the number one. How about Cam Newton? How about Kyler, Kyler Murray? Last time I checked, those were black quarterbacks. All of them went number one. And if you still want to debate or you still want to try and tell me that the NFL is racist, why is it that the four highest paid quarterbacks in NFL history are all black? Can anybody answer that for me? The NFL is racist. NFL GMs, owners, and scouts are all racist, yet the top four quarterbacks in NFL history are all black. And those quarterbacks would be Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, and Dak Prescott. But please, ESPN, remind me again how this is that somehow the NFL is racist. The NFL is the ultimate of meritocracy. You play if you can win. The NFL only cares about one color, and that's green. And if you can't figure that out or you haven't figured that out yet, I can't help you. No one can help you. The fact that ESPN, though, is peddling this bullshit and they're continuing to try and divide us and, and have these racial conversations that are not necessary is absolutely disgusting. Especially when you're, you're doing this with arguably the most exciting time in sports. The NFL draft is, for a lot of people, their favorite event on the sports calendar year. It's the year where every team, every fan has hope for the future. 
for the opportunity to bring in a new quarterback or a new linebacker or a new wide receiver, somebody that they believe could potentially turn their team around and make them a Super Bowl contender, if not a Super Bowl champion. And rather than celebrate this time and make it fun and exciting for the fans and for the viewers, ESPN has decided to pedal in race baiting. And it's just gross. It's gross. I mean, there's really no other way to put it. And ESPN knows what they're doing. They've they've been making a, a career out of it over the past few years. And their numbers have steadily declined. And they will continue to decline because nobody wants to listen to this garbage. So if you're still tuning in to ESPN, I would highly advise you go elsewhere. Go to the NFL Network. Go to another online outlet. There's there's plenty more independent sports outlets out there for you. Uh, find something else. Some, find somebody who's not going to spend their uh, their editorial section of, of their website to just try and, and get people to, to be divided even further than we already are. All right, let's talk some NFL draft. All right, so the first part of NFL Corner this week before I get into my reaction to the top 10 picks, because I'm not going to touch on all of them. I'm going to touch on the top 10 picks and then obviously where the quarterbacks were drafted. But before that, I want to give you my ranking as to the success rate of these five quarterbacks. Okay. Because I think it's important. I think it's important to, to predict quarterbacks. I, I, they're the most important, they're the most important position in all of sports, obviously the most important position in the NFL. And a lot of people believe that Trevor Lawrence is really the only quarterback worth taking. And I don't think that's the case. I believe that there are two quarterbacks in this draft that I think are going to be incredibly successful in their career. There's another one that I think has the potential, their ceiling is pretty high, has the potential to be pretty damn successful. And then the other two, I just don't think are, are going to be that great at all. So the top two that I think are going to be the most successful is Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance. I think the two of them have the most upside of any quarterback in this draft. Trevor Lawrence is the best prospect we've seen since Andrew Luck, who was the best prospect we saw since John Elway. Trevor Lawrence is a once in a generation type quarterback, and he's going to be, he's just going to be a tremendous quarterback in the league. Trey Lance I think has been undervalued. I understand the competition he played against in college, and I get the arguments that people have and the concerns they have against him. But the more I've, I've read up on him, the more I've looked at his stats, what I saw from the combine and everything else, this kid's got it. Whatever it is, I believe Trey Lance has, and I think he's going to be a dynamite player in the NFL. I really do. I believe that he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks to come into the league in some time. So that brings me to my third category or my third quarterback, whom I think has the potential to be great, although I'm not 100% confident, and that's Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson has the arm, has an arm on him like Josh Allen, like Patrick Mahomes. He's got a rifle for an arm. And the potential is there. He's got the potential. I just don't, I'm not 100% confident that it's going to happen for him. But I do believe that he does have the opportunity to be a a Pro Bowl quarterback. I'm not going to say he's going to win a Super Bowl. Those other two quarterbacks, by the way, Lawrence and Trey Lance, I believe, have all of the ability to take a team and win a Super Bowl in the NFL. I don't know about Zach Wilson. 
I, I think that the, he, again, he has the ability to do it. I just don't know if he's ever going to live up to, to those capabilities. And then we have Justin Fields and Mac Jones. Neither one of them, I think, are going to be successful NFL quarterbacks. You know, Mac Jones, again, he comes from, he comes from Alabama. Alabama, last time, if you haven't been paying attention, Alabama hasn't exactly been producing top quarterbacks ever. Ever. Aside from Bart Starr. Don't remember another Alabama quarterback coming into the league and lighting it on fire. And I just don't see that for Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones is going to be one hell of a backup quarterback. You know, I kind of see him in the mold of, of what Andy Dalton is now. He's a good backup. He'll be a solid backup. I think that, and again, I'm recording this prior to the picks coming in. But if the 49ers take Mac Jones, I think they're making a huge mistake. If the 49ers are smart, they're going to take Trey Lance. I just if Kyle Shanahan is the genius that everyone says he is, he should take Trey Lance. Mac Jones to me is not Mac Jones is not better than Jimmy Garoppolo. All right, I'm I'm saying it right now. Mac Jones is not better than Jimmy G. So if you're going to take a quarterback in this draft and determine that he's going to be your ultimate starter, then take Trey Lance. Do not do not take Mac Jones if you're the 49ers. And as far as Justin Fields goes, look, man. Justin Fields, physically speaking, he's intimidating as, as, as all hell. I mean, he's, he's built like a chiseled brick house. He's imposing. He's intimidating. He has the ability to be great, okay? Justin Fields has, has all the natural talent in the world. But I don't buy it. I've, nev- I've never bought into Justin Fields. His entire collegiate career, I never bought into him. You know, he was on the, uh, the Netflix series QB1. He was on the documentary series, and, and I watched it with, uh, I think he was on season three. And even then, he was, he was the most hyped uh, quarterback on that, um, on that show aside from Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm was in season one. For those of you who don't know Jake Fromm, Jake Fromm was a quarterback who played for Georgia for a few years. He got drafted by Buffalo. Last year, I believe it was. Uh, so he's a backup in Buffalo. He's never going to see the field. Um, and I was, a, I was a huge Jake Fromm fan. Uh, but even I knew that he wasn't going to be, be a tremendous NFL starter. He's another quarterback. To me, Jake Fromm is, is very similar to Mac Jones, a quarterback that's going to be one hell of a backup, is never really going to light up the league. Anyway, Justin Fields, even in that documentary series, there was something about his, I don't want to say it's his work ethic, but like he didn't seem like somebody who wanted to be the first man in and the last man out type deal. And that's what a lot of the, the articles that I've been reading, a lot of what the scouts have been saying is that he, while he has all the physical tools, he has the ability to be a, a tremendous quarterback in this league. A lot of people question his work ethic. Like he's just one of those naturally gifted athletes that has never really had to put the work in because he's just that great. Well, when you go into the NFL, everybody in the NFL is a naturally gifted athlete. What separates you from the pack is the work you put in, is the amount of time you put into the film room, the amount of time you put in the weight room, the amount of time that you're, you're practicing your, your routes with your receivers and all that stuff. And I could be dead wrong. 
Okay, I could be wrong about all these guys. Trevor Lawrence could end up being a bust. Zach Wilson could be a bust. Trey Lance could be a bust. Justin Fields could be a superstar. Mac Jones could be a superstar. But I will pat myself on the back on this one. I have been right more often than not when it has come to quarterbacks, when it's come to predicting success rates for quarterbacks, specifically over the past three or four years. So, I again, for my money, Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance – is where your bread should be buttered. Zach Wilson is is a 50-50 shot. And Justin Fields and Mac Jones, to me, just they're just not gonna be they're not gonna be very successful in the next level. All right, let's get to some reaction. All right, so I got a lot to say here with some draft reaction. So what I'm gonna do is I wanna I'm gonna go through the top 10 first. So I'm just gonna rattle off the top 10. I'm gonna tell you what I like, what I don't like from the top 10, and then I'm just gonna kind of pick and choose the uh, the remainder of the first round that I, I just want to touch on. All right, so in order, Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence, Jets take Zach Wilson, 49ers take Trey Lance, Falcons take Kyle Pitts, Bengals take Jamar Chase, Dolphins take Jalen Waddell, Lions take Panay Sewell, uh, let's see, Panthers took Jace Horn, Denver took Patrick Sertain, and the Eagles take Devontae Smith. All right. Trevor Lawrence, we knew was going to happen. Zach Wilson, we knew was going to happen. Congratulations to the 49ers. I love, love the fact that y'all took Trey Lance and you didn't take Mac Jones. Brilliant move by them. I'm telling you guys, Trey Lance is going to be a star in this league. Kyle Pitts going to Atlanta, top notch, teaming him up with Julio Jones. Atlanta is going to be formidable. They're going to be formidable next year. They're going to be a playoff contender. Jamar Chase going to the Bengals. I know a lot of people hate this. I love it. I've, I, I understand you should be you should have taken a lot of people think they should have ta- they should they should have taken Sewell. I can appreciate that and I can understand that and I respect people who have a problem with it. I do. I 100% get it. But you're teaming up Joe Burrow with his star wide receiver from college, Jamar Chase. It, it, they went off. They went on and won a national championship a year ago or almost two years ago now. It just it makes sense. It makes sense. Complete sense. And I and I really do like it. The same thing in Alabama. You took. A, a quarterback who you drafted and you're teaming him back up with his one of his star wide receivers. It, awesome pickup. Obviously, the Lions getting the best offensive tackle in the draft. Good for him or good for them. Great for Jared Goff. I don't really understand the Jace Horn pickup by by the Panthers. Maybe they evaluated something that everybody else didn't. But if you're going to take a cornerback, why the hell wouldn't you take Sertain? He's clearly the best cornerback in this draft. I, that, that's head scratching to me. I don't understand it. Congratulations to the Broncos. You got the best cornerback in the draft. The Broncos, for as much as I, I shit on John Elway, the Broncos have drafted so damn well defensively. It's unbelievable. Like they, every single year, they're a top 10 defense, if not a top five. That brilliant, brilliant pickup by Denver and lucky to have it fall to them at nine. I mean, that's incredible. Devontae Smith going to the Eagles. So two parts. First part, great pickup for the Eagles. Smart choice. I just find it fascinating how Eagles fans are super excited that they traded up for a wide receiver last year. Yet I heard Eagles fans, particularly one particular Eagles fan who's a part of this network, telling me that they should they didn't need to trade up last year for a wide receiver. But now this year he's super excited that they did. It's almost like he was okay with the Eagles sabotaging their quarterback, Carson Wentz, at the time. I'm just saying. I'm just putting it out there. Anyway, I'm moving on. Chicago Bears traded with the New York Giants to take Justin Fields. 
Congratulations, Bears. You're going to continue to suck at quarterback for the next 10 years. At 12, I really like this pickup by the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, who traded back with the Eagles. They got Michael Parsons, who might be the best overall defensive player in this draft. I mean, Michael Parsons, the fact that Mark, Michael Parsons fell out of the top 10 is insane. That's actually who I would have expected Carolina to take at eight or even uh, possibly even you. If the Lions had taken Michael Parsons at seven, I would have been okay with it too. It would have made sense to me. Um, let's see. Who else do I want to touch on? At 15. Okay, 15 was the Patriots. They took Mac Jones. Now, I just came off of a segment telling you that I think both Justin Fields and Mac Jones are going to be perennial backups in this league, and they're not going to be starters or good starters. It's Bill Belichick, and I say all the time in Bill Belichick I trust. He must know something that I don't. And, look, he's really close with Nick Saban. I know that he trusts Saban. Maybe, you know, maybe he spoke with Saban and he just buys into Mac Jones. I don't buy into Mac Jones. I personally think this was a really stupid move by the Patriots. Patriots should have taken a wide receiver. They should have taken a tight end. They, should, they need some sort of offensive firepower, and they don't have anything. So, I mean, great, you got, you got Mac Jones. To me, you just, you just drafted another Jared Stidham in the first round. I just, I, I, I'm, and I could be wrong. Look, Mac Jones could be fantastic. Again, he's going to New England. He's going to one of the best franchises in the NFL. So, you know, maybe, maybe he will end up being good because of who he's being coached by. But this, to me, this is just a, a complete another head scratcher. Uh, Jalen Phillips at 18 going to the Miami Dolphins, I think is awesome. That was another great pickup. Again, you have a kid who went to Miami going to the Dolphins. He was the number two overall ranked defensive end in this draft. I think that was a great pickup. <laughs> so the Giants, the Giants, everybody was telling me that I was wrong. I told everybody that I speak with, both on the network and off the network, that we have we have our, uh, we have group chats um, with my OG5 group. And I told everybody the Giants were taking a wide receiver. And I got so much pushback saying, no, 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 they're going to go defense. They're going to go defense. They're going to go cornerback or defensive end or whatever they're going to do. There's no way they're going to take a wide receiver. Well, they took Katerius Tony, who is the number six overall wide receiver in this draft out of Florida. I think it's a great move. I, I said before, and I'll say it again, the Giants need offensive help. You need offensive help. You can't just rely on Saquon Barkley. Congratulations, you went out and got um, you know you went out and got Galladay. Woo, big deal. This is a great move. I think this is a great move for the Giants. I think it's a smart move by the Giants. You don't need to beef up a defense. You need to help your quarterback succeed. And the only way you're going to do that is if you give him somebody other than one of the best running backs in football to completely rely on. So smart move by the Giants. I think it, I think I really do. I think it was a great move. I think it was a great trade by the Giants too. Smart, smart, smart. My Colts took Quiddy Pay from Michigan, defensive end. He was the number number one ranked overall defensive end in the draft. Look, I trust my GM. I I like this pickup. They were they were slated to take a they were looking at another player and I don't remember who it was. I can't think of the other player that was projected to go to them. Oh, it was I believe it was uh Gregory Rasseo, I think is how you say his name, out of Miami. Uh, who ended up going to the Bills at 30, who was the defensive end. I believe that's who it was projected that they would take, but they didn't, and that's okay. You know, look, I'm okay with what the what the Colts did again. I completely trust my GM. The other one that I want to touch on real quick, and then I'm going to close close this out, is Baltimore taking Rashad Bateman. 
brilliant. Absolutely brilliant by the, the Ravens. You got, in my opinion, the, one of the best wide receivers in this draft. He may end up being like the third best wide receiver in this draft when it's all said and done. Bateman was originally slated to fall all the way to the Bucks. And I believe Rich and I talked about this on Richo and Lala a few weeks back. And I had said, if, if the Bucks get Rashad Bateman, or he and I, maybe we talked about it off pod. I can't remember. And I had said, if, if, they get, if they get Rashad Bateman, if Rashad Bateman falls to the Bucks at the end of the first round, the Bucks are going to win the Super Bowl again. Like this kid to me is that good. So you, you finally give Lamar Jackson a home run target. Now it's all on Lamar Jackson. Look, this is going to be a two-fold point here. The first point is this was a great pickup by Baltimore. So excellent, excellent pick by Baltimore. But Lamar Jackson now has no more excuses. So if the Ravens flounder again in the playoffs, I don't want to hear anybody out there defending Lamar Jackson by saying he doesn't have any help because that's not the case anymore. You got one of the best wide receivers in the draft. You now have plenty of weapons. You need to do something with them. So again, great pickup, but it's twofold. You no longer can, no longer does Lamar Jackson have any outs anymore. You finally got a top wide receiver. Let's see what you do with it. And finally, last point, fuck the Green Bay Packers. Just fuck them, man. You guys take a freaking cornerback at 29. Y'all take Eric Stokes out of Georgia, who was a projected second round draft pick. Second round draft pick. And y'all take him in the first round. I just, I, I don't understand I don't understand this organization. I truly don't. So it, it had been reported over the past couple of days, and this is a little off, off the, the NFL draft, but just forgive me for a second because this is an important NFL story, obviously. There are reports that both the 49ers and the Rams reached out to the Packers to make a trade for Aaron Rodgers. The 49ers were willing to give up both Jimmy G and their third overall draft pick along with, I think, a, a second-round draft pick this year and another second or third round draft pick next year something to that effect and the Packers declined and then the Rams offered Stafford and a few other draft picks as well and again uh, the Packers declined and the GM of the Packers came out the other day and was oh you know Aaron Rodgers is our you know he's he is our quarterback or he's our guy for the foreseeable future it's like well really because you didn't seem to think that last year when you took Jordan Love in the first round you had the opportunity to to give him some receiving help, and instead you chose to take a quarterback. And Aaron Rodgers has come out publicly and said, "I don't want to be here anymore. I'm out. Like I'm done. I'm done with. I'm done with this organization. I don't want to be here." And frankly, I don't blame him. I mean, how can you? The Packers organization the past few years has been absolutely putrid with the way that they've treated their quarterback. The dude's the star of the of the franchise. He's the face of your franchise, and you've literally drafted no help for him ever. Ever. He has never had a first-round talent at wide receiver or at tight end the entire time he's been there, which is inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. So if I was Aaron Rodgers, I mean, I would consider holding out at this point. Why? Why bother playing for them? You, he's made enough money. He doesn't, need to, he doesn't need to play. It's not like he owes the Packers anything at this point. He's given them everything. He can hold out and go host Jeopardy as far as I'm concerned. Like, screw this team. I, I, once Aaron Rodgers is done with this organization, I hope that the Packers completely fall on their face for years to come because that's what they deserve. They, you've, you've completely squandered one of the greatest quarterbacks we've ever seen. You've squandered his career over the past few years because your inept GM decision-making has just been absurd. Absolutely absurd. But anyway, real quick, first-round draft I think was exciting. I think there were a lot of great moves that were made. A few head-scratchers, but overall, 
I don't think it was a disappointment. I look forward to seeing what happens as the draft moves forward this weekend. Major League Baseball just keeps screwing up this season. It's un- it's unbelievable. First, it was the All-Star game, and now this. So, Madison Bumgarner pitched a seven-inning, no-hit, complete game in the second game of a doubleheader against the Atlanta Braves the other day. However, because it was seven innings and not nine innings, Major League Baseball does not count the game as a no-hitter because of their rules, which was changed back in 1991. Here's where it gets... Just absolutely absurd. So Bumgarner officially earns credit for a complete game and a shutout. And since it was the second game of a doubleheader, it was a scheduled seven-inning game, not a scheduled nine-inning game. So again, Major League Baseball created the rules for doubleheaders to now be seven innings, not nine innings. Now to go back to the the whole um, giving credit for a no-hitter, So the rule changed back in 1991, and the rule states, and I quote, a game in which a pitcher or pitchers give up no hits while pitching at least nine innings, a pitcher may give up a run or runs so long as he pitches nine innings or more and does not give up a hit, that is considered a no-hitter. Prior to that change in the official records, no-hit games of fewer than nine innings were considered no-hitters. So prior to 91, if you pitched a game of seven innings or eight innings and you got a no-hitter, or, or you you no-hit whomever it was that you were playing, you got credit for a no-hitter. But then Major League Baseball changed the rules in 91, which is fine. However, you have now changed. Doubleheaders weren't always seven-inning games. So you've, you've changed the rules since 91 when it's come to doubleheaders. So likewise, you should also adapt new rules for the for these new parameters that you've set for doubleheader games. Bumgarner didn't just pitch seven innings out of nine innings. Like there wasn't like there was some sort of weather anomaly that came in and prevented a full nine inning baseball game. If that was the case, then no, you don't get Madison Bumgarner credit for the, for the complete game, nor for a no hitter because some weird circumstance happened to prevent the game from going nine innings. But everybody in the ballpark, everyone who was playing the game, knew the game was going to go seven innings. Bumgarner no hit the Atlanta Braves during the entire seven inning baseball game that was officially set up by the rules of Major League Baseball for double headers. And again, every other statistic in that game counts. You're giving him credit for a complete game and a shutout, but you're not going to give him credit for a no-hitter? That's insane. And if it bothers you that much, then just put a damn asterisk next to the game. But you should still give the guy credit for it. He allotted his, his end of the bargain. He knew that there were seven innings. The Atlanta Braves knew there were seven innings. He pitched a shutout, no-hitter. Atlanta couldn't hit him. End of discussion. He should get credit for the for hit pitching a no hitter, you're giving him credit for everything else. He gets a win. The stats count towards his ERA, his WHIP, everything else. Every player, every other player, their stats work. So let me get this straight. He doesn't get credit for a no hitter, but if somebody hit for the cycle, do they get credit for that? Even though it's only seven innings, does that still count? Do you get to put that on your resume? Hey, I, I hit for the cycle in this seven inning game. Because I'm betting you it does. 
Like baseball's rules right now, they don't make sense. You've got your unwritten rules that are just complete and utter hogwash. And now you have these rules that apparently you have to, you pick and choose what works for you. Y'all need to update your rules. Update your rule book. If you're going to a lot that doubleheaders now have to be seven innings, then if you pitch a no-hitter or a perfect game during those seven innings, then it counts. You can put, again, you can put in, in the, you know, the, the major statistics of baseball, you can have asterisks next to those, next to those, um, those perfect games or no-hitters and say, hey, these were only during seven innings because it was part of a doubleheader. That's fine. But you should still give those players credit for the accomplishment that they've made. Major League Baseball has to be better than this. They just, they, you got to be better because this is just insane. So a few podcasts back, I touched on my issues with, with Major League Baseball, particularly Rob Manfred making the decision to move the All-Star game from Atlanta to Denver due to Atlanta's new voting laws. Well, one of the chief proponents of moving the All-Star game was Democratic operative Stacey Abrams, who has you know, become a Democratic media darling. She was the forefront of people who was pushing for Major League Baseball to move the All-Star game. She wrote an op-ed in USA Today. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because the op-ed in USA Today all of a sudden got a, a, a strange rewrite that USA Today never announced. Because all of a sudden, once the backlash started coming in, and it came in fast and furious with people flipping out about the fact that the Atlanta area was going to lose over $100 million in revenue because of moving the All-Star game. All of a sudden, Stacey Abrams was coming out and going on CNN and MSNBC and all the other places that would host her saying, you know, oh, it's just it's absolutely terrible that Major League Baseball is, is moving its All-Star game. Like, I, we don't, you know, we never wanted that to happen. And when you pull up the new USA Today article, her, her original editorial, all of a sudden, there are some paragraphs that completely changed. And uh, thanks to the internet, those, we have the original, I have the original article, which I'm going to read the excerpt of her original op-ed, and then I'm going to read the one that USA Today edited for her. Okay, so here's the, here's the original piece. Quote, the impassioned response to the racist classless bill that is now the law of Georgia is to boycott in order to achieve change. Events hosted by Major League Baseball, world-class soccer, college sports, and dozens of Hollywood films hang in the balance. At the same time, activists urge Georgians to swear off of hometown products to express our outrage. Until we hear clear, unequivocal statements that show Georgia-based companies get what's at stake, I can't argue with an individual's choice to opt for their competition. End quote. Now here is the, the, um, the edited version, the new version of her op-ed. Quote, the impassioned and understandable response to the racist classless bill that is now the, the law of Georgia is to boycott in order to achieve change. Events that can bring millions of dollars to struggling families hang in the balance. Major League Baseball pulled both its all-star game and its draft from Georgia, which could cost our home state nearly $100 million in lost revenue. Rather than accept responsibility for their craven actions, Republican leaders blame me and others who have championed voting rights and actually read the bill. Their fake outrage is designed to hide the fact that they prioritize making it harder for people of color to vote over the economic well-being of all Georgians, end quote. You notice how uh, it's completely different? 
Now, USA Today, once they got called out for it and they got they got absolutely blistered all over social media because, again, people aren't stupid. They made some sort of statement saying, oh, yeah, you know, we forgot to we forgot to point out the fact that it was edited. Well, yeah, no shit. Because you, you, you and Stacey Abrams are both trying to save your own ass. Like, Stacey Abrams has to own this. And it, it sucks to her. I mean, and look, and I, I, get what she's, I get what she's trying to do. She got caught. Her name is now attached to, to running the All-Star game out of Atlanta. And it's going to be used against her in political ways for years to come. As it should be. She cost her home state, her home state, over $100 million. Particularly Atlanta which is primarily, again, have black-owned businesses. You cost all those people that you claim to care about $100 million, and you did that for political purposes. And now the chickens are coming home to roost, and she's backtracking as fast as she possibly can. The bigger issue here, though, is the fact that political operatives like Stacey Abrams and national outlets like USA Today are changing the written word and completely altering editorials. That's Orwellian type of shit. Like, that's scary stuff. The fact that they changed it, didn't announce it, and were lying to people. We're actively lying to people and saying, oh, Stacey Abrams was never pro boy- boycott. They, she never told Major League Baseball to boycott the All-Star game from Atlanta. And then you read the actual editorial, and it's, like night and day from the edited one that they put out there and they acted like nothing changed. They did eventually, they had to come out and say, oh yeah, no, it it did change. We just forgot to note the fact that we, we updated is how they put it. That we updated the editorial. Well, no, you didn't update the editorial. You completely changed the language in the editorial to make it seem as though Stacey Abrams was never against it. That's scary shit. It just is. It's alarming. It's alarming that we have all of these these quote unquote journalistic institutions in this country. They're not journalistic institutions. They're propaganda outlets for particular parties. There is no such thing as as journalism anymore, or at least objective journalism anymore. Everyone's everyone at this point is an activist. It's just a matter of what side of the political aisle you fall on. But gone are the days where journalists or whomever political operatives or even politicians in general can use can try and edit editorials or columns or whatever it may be to go back and change what they originally said those manipulation tactics are over because we live in a new age with the internet people are constantly on the internet on the prowl looking for ways to get you so good luck good luck to all the people out there who think they can get away with this type of bullshit it's not going to happen and that's a good thing it's a good thing that people are actually paying attention and and calling all of these you know, privileged elites out on their, not only their utter hypocrisy, but also their lies. A couple of weeks ago on Rich and Lala in our question segment, Rich asked me what my favorite sports movie was. And I immediately went to my, my default answer, which is always remember the Titans. It's the first movie that pops in my head. Whenever I think of sports movies, it is one of the greatest sports movies ever. I don't even think that that's debatable. And uh, the other day, I saw a tweet, and it was because of Oscar Sunday. And the tweet was, if you could take any sports movie over the last 25 years that didn't win Best Picture, which movie would you do you believe should have won Best Picture? And I was going through and 
you know, there, a lot of people picked a lot of good choices, but one person put the warrior, the warrior came out in 2011. It's a MMA movie. It's with, um, Joel Edgerton, Tom Hardy, Nick Nolte, and Jennifer Morrison. And it's about, uh, these two brothers who were estranged and they're both, both of them are a son of an alcoholic, former boxer who returns, um, who is in recovery and he's and both brothers at the time or at least when the movie began were estranged from their father because of his alcoholic tendencies and then it you know dives deeper into it anyway to make a long story short both both brothers end up entering into the same mma tournament unaware that either one of them are, are battling in it and they end up fighting each other at the end for the the championship it is by far one of not just the best sports movies I've ever seen, one of the best movies of all time. And now I watched this movie, I don't know, five or six years ago initially, and I liked it. Like, I thought it was good, but I wasn't, I think I was distracted when I was watching it. I was doing other things. It was just, I, I rented it because I heard it was good, but I, I wasn't, I was passively watching it. I wasn't like actually like really into it because it was almost like watching it for the first time. Because I, I honestly didn't remember who won the who ended up winning at the end. So I had it on in the background a few years ago, but I never took the time to really watch it. Now the movie was nominated, speaking of the Oscars, it was nominated for one Oscar and it was ben, it was uh, for best supporting actor for Nick Nolte. That movie should have gotten best picture, a best picture nod. And I don't even know who the hell won best picture back in 2012 really doesn't matter he they still it still should have been nominated it is just it's a fantastic movie it it hits you in the feels it gets you in in multiple ways and the acting is just tremendous i mean it really is it's it's one of the better acted movies sports movies i've I've seen in in quite some time i mean when you look at the cast too i mean you know nick nolte's nick nolte the dude's a legend so take him out of it for a second Joel Edgerton, both Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy, I think, are criminally underrated. Both of those actors are, are tremendous. And I know there's some people on this network that aren't fans of Tom Hardy, Richo. But if you actually take the time and, and you've watched some of their other stuff, they're both incredible actors. And Jennifer Morrison is from, for those who ever watched Once Upon a Time, she played Emma Swan. So she was the main actress on that show. So the acting was was flawless. They they casted really well. I I couldn't imagine another actor playing either one of those either one of the the main characters. And it's just I I truly can't recommend this movie enough. If you have the opportunity, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, it's currently available on Prime. You can check it out for free. And uh, yeah, if you do, if you end up watching it, shoot me a uh, shoot me a tweet at LaValleyCH. Let me know what you thought. All right, everyone, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Valley Sports Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Silent Network. As always, thank you so much for tuning and listening. I greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to check us out on iTunes, subscribe, rate, and review. And while you're there, we got plenty of other podcasts for you, including Drinks with Dan, Richo's Rant, Richo and Lala, and Spaceball. A new episode is currently available of Spaceball, episode three of season two. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. This episode, Austin and I discuss the Boston Red Sox surprise start, we debate whether or not Jacob DeGrom is the best pitcher in baseball. And we also break down this past weekend's 
Dodgers Padres series. So be sure to check that out. You won't be disappointed. And that is it. That's all I have for you this week. I hope you all be well and stay safe. Talk to y'all again next week. (laughs) 